You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. And if you'll turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. As you're doing that, I wanted to make you aware in uh, the transition of us expanding our nursery and creating more space for our kids. We've shared with you that um, Joe Felker next door. And that's what we're calling him now instead of the karate guy. So everybody knows his name is Joe Felker, not just the karate guy. Or you can call him Sensei Felker, maybe. Um, But he's been very generous to open up his facility so that our kids can meet there for their kids' class. They're starting that today. Um, And when we met as deacons, we talked about wanting to to bless them financially in response. He didn't ask for any money. He said we could do it for free. But we felt like in context of... What we were teaching on, you know, that God had called Abram to be a blessing to those around him, that we wanted to be faithful as a church to be a blessing as well. And so we had some money and savings that we felt like would be appropriate that you guys have given to give to him, um, not as payment for using it, but just as an expression of thanks and and wanting to be a blessing to him. And it was really cool because of the way the timing fell. They were uh, in need of something financially. And so our gift was able to take care of that. And so he left us a card this morning that says, Dear Sovereign Hope Church, Sometimes blessings come our way when we least expect it. Thank you. With many thanks, Joe, Kalen, and Joey Felker, the generosity of your church was appreciated more than words can express. So I wanted to share that with you all this morning because that's, um, that's as much on you guys as it is on leadership, distributing that money. Um, you guys have faithfully given far more than we could ever expect as a church this size. And so wanted you to reap the encouragement as well of being able to bless a family that is in turn, blessed us already, and us being able to respond to that, and then God just multiplying that in a way that they really needed at the time. So I encourage you with that this morning. All right, so in Genesis chapter 13, we continue to press on in our understanding of uh, Abram's life and how that ties into our faith here in the New Testament. Uh, We've already looked at our summary sentence this morning, uh, but just once again to recap, let me get that, let me get our notes up on the screen for us. When we trust in God's promises of good intent, it frees us from seeking our personal rights, our increase in personal riches, and the fulfillment of our flesh, allowing us to instead pursue relationships of peace and environments of purity. You'll remember we wrapped up Genesis chapter 12 talking about the uh, the incident with Abram in Egypt. Famine had struck the land, and so Abram takes his family to Egypt. We said that's a common occurrence in the book of Genesis. When famine strikes, Egypt is the solution for a lot of families. Because of its close ties to the Nile River, they were not hit as as hard when it came to famine time. And so people would flee to Egypt. It's ultimately how Egypt benefited so greatly when Joseph was in power there. He was... um, He was told by God in advance that this great famine was coming, and so he prepped Egypt for that, and then Egypt benefited financially because so many people had to come and purchase food from them. So it was natural for Abram to say, let's move to Egypt during this time to seek refuge there. The the issue came when Abram began to deceptively try to uh, fix the situation because he was fearful of how it may play out. You'll remember he was scared because his wife was of such beauty that he was afraid that the Egyptians would take his life in order to make her their wife. And so he wanted to construct a plan to protect himself, a plan of deception. We said that ultimately it was a lack of trust in God's promises. God's already promised to give him offspring, has already promised to bless him, had promised to bless those who bless him, to curse those who cursed him. And so Abram really had nothing to worry about. But we said that he was led by fear rather than trust, and it led to him scheming and developing this plan with his wife, which ultimately did not play out the way that he wanted it to, right? He lost his wife, even though he had protected himself. He thought, remember we said that he was probably planning to have to negotiate. This is my sister. If you're going to marry her, we're going to have to negotiate with it. And he wanted to draw that process out, and they would leave Egypt, and he would still have his wife and still have his life. But... Because he lies and says, this is my sister, they don't really try to negotiate. It's the Pharaoh. He doesn't have to negotiate. Pharaoh dumps all this money and possessions and animals on him and says, here's payment for her and takes her. I um, mean, he doesn't get a whole lot of say so in it. And so we saw that God had to kind of step in and, and fix that problem, fix that situation and rescue Abram out of Egypt and, es- and rescue Sarai back to him. 
Which brings us to chapter 13 today. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. We see here that Abram pursues reconciliation after this incident. So he's failed in his faith. He's, he's not expressed trust in God's plans like he should have. He hasn't clung to those promises of good intent. It goes badly for him when he tries to control the situation himself instead of trusting God's control. He tries to control it. He tries to manipulate it. It doesn't turn out well. That becomes apparently obvious to him when Pharaoh has to rebuke him, basically. Why would you lie to me? Why would you do this? Now, you've brought calamity upon me and my family. You'll remember that there was a plague that was brought upon Pharaoh and his household because he had taken uh, Sarai as his wife. So people are bearing the consequences of Abram's sin. And so they're dismissed from Egypt. And rather than just bouncing back and saying, okay, let's just move past that, Abram really understands the need to reconcile things with God. That his sin, yes, had consequences for Pharaoh, but ultimately his sin was against God and a lack of trust in God's promises. And so What we see here, the way Moses lays this out, is that Abram returns essentially to the place where he wandered off in his spiritual journey. The the last trace that we have of him in fellowship with God, he returns to that place and says reconciliation needs to happen here. That there's been failure on my part in leading my family. I dropped the ball. I failed to trust in God. I led my family to fail to trust in God, led my wife into a scheme that ultimately failed to trust in God. And so Abram takes his family back to this place and says, we need to regroup, we need to confess, we need to worship, we need to reconcile with the God who has called us into this covenant with him. Abram's failure leads him to confession and worship. He returns to the place that he wandered. Abram wants a fresh start. He wants to put Egypt behind him. This is a reminder to us, too, that when we deviate from God's plan in our life, when we, when we fall into sin, and we all do this, we, we continue to fall into sin until Jesus comes back. We fight sin, we labor through it, but the, the, uh, the medication in the New Testament is that we confess our sins as believers. The promise in 1 John is that as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so the example that Abram sets here, and remember, Abram's life is the prototypical example of what faith is supposed to look like in the life of a believer. And his faith grows and it's strengthened all through his life. And there's times when we see weakness in his faith, but he also demonstrates how to respond when faith has been demonstrated in a weak way. And so when we have times of weak faith, the the, the prescribed solution to that is to confess and to return in an attitude and a mindset of worship reconciling with the God that we failed to trust in. And so Abram leads his family back to this point between Bethel and Ai to make reconciliation with God. It says, and, and that ultimately that setting, that, that sets the tone for what we see unfold in the remaining part of this chapter. It says, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Not only does Abram pursue reconciliation in this passage, Abram pursues peace. He pursues peace. What we have here is a situation where um, Abram has confessed, he's been forgiven of his sin, but he's still going to have to bear the consequences of his choices in Egypt. He's still required to reap the consequences that he sowed due to his actions. Restoration doesn't remove consequences. We talked about this some last week. It's great that Abram realizes that he messed up. It's great that Abram realizes he failed in his faith. It's great that he's come back home back home spiritually to confess and to experience restoration. But scripture never promises a believer that just because confession happens, that it removes the consequences of our actions. The principle is still true for believers and unbelievers that we reap what we sow. 
Now, the comfort is that God oftentimes will work those negative consequences for good in our life. But the the assurance is that oftentimes we will still reap the consequences of our sinful actions and our sinful failures. And Abram does that here in our account this morning here in Genesis 13. Abram goes from famine to feast basically overnight. That's what he experienced in Egypt. So he flees to Egypt because he's scared to death because he's not sure that he has enough, enough stuff to sustain his family through the famine, right? So he, he flees down there because he feels like he's experiencing personal famine. There's a famine in the land. I don't have enough to take care of my family. Let's go down to Egypt and feast in Egypt, basically. And through his lie, Pharaoh dumps all this stuff upon him. Remember that list of stuff, all kinds of animals and possessions that he gives. Abram, for whatever reason, Pharaoh allows him to leave with that stuff, even though uh, Pharaoh doesn't get to keep the wife. Abram still gets to keep the stuff. And so he comes back to this place where he built this altar and he's rich. He's rich with with possessions. He's rich with um, the things that he needs to take care of his family. He goes from famine to feast basically overnight, more than likely faster than God intended as well. Now, we know that God promised to bless Abraham. Promises to bless him. And we could easily look at this and say, This is God fulfilling his promise to bless Abraham. And there may be some truth to that. But what we do know is that Abram was not supposed to lie. And so the possessions that he gained from that lie, it could be argued, are not necessarily a good gift from God, right? God doesn't give us bad gifts. And this gift really seems to be bad for his family situation. So I believe some of this is really negative consequence of his poor choice in Egypt. Looks great. I mean, he looks out and says, we are rich. We have lots of stuff now. The problem is that it's not always good. Financial gain often causes as many problems as it does solutions. And that's what happens here in Abram's family. It causes division between his portion of the family and Lot's portion of the family. I think he got wealthier faster than God was going to let it play out. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 tells us the sorrows that often come with financial gain. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Scripture never condemns the the possession of money, never condemns us for having money. The Scriptures do warn us about the love for money, the craving for money, the desire to increase our financial situation. 1 Timothy 6.10 reminds us that financial gain often causes more problems than it does solutions. Abram needed money. He needed possessions to weather this famine. Now he has a plethora of this stuff. And now he's created with a new set of problems. He experienced test number one in chapter 12 last week. Test number one was the famine that came upon him. And if you look back in Genesis chapter 12 verse 10, we don't see this in the English language. But in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. It could really be translated. The famine was heavy or the famine was rich in the land. Okay, we skip ahead to Genesis 13. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock. It's the same Hebrew word used there. So what we have is two contrasting situations. In chapter 12, the land is rich with famine. And Abram's faith is put to the test. Will you trust me in the midst of famine? When the circumstances are bad, when your circumstances are negative, will you trust my good intent for you? Now, in chapter 13, a new test comes Abram's way. A new test. Abram is now heavy or rich. With possessions. Will Abram trust God in times of plenty? You say, well, why wouldn't he? Like, of course you would trust God in times of plenty. He's blessed you. He's, he's given you things. Why would you not trust God? Well, we see immediately there plenty is put to the test because it's now being jeopardized because of both families trying to take the land. So both have plenty to sustain their families, but both are concerned about losing the stuff that they now have. That oftentimes people talk about uh, rich people not always being the happiest people because they're always so concerned about losing their riches, right? 
That's what seems to be the cause of the strife. We're both really rich. We both have a lot of stuff. We're both concerned now about losing it. Will we trust God in times of plenty? Will we trust God's in, God in times of famine? Both tests given to Abram. One he failed in chapter 12. One he passes here in chapter 13. The answer to both these tests is to learn to trust God in both times, of, uh, in both times by being content with his sovereign control of goodness. Let me say that again. Learn to trust God in both times by being content with his sovereign control of goodness. Philippians 4.10. This, this echoes both of these tests that Abram went through. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Talking about the church at Philippi. I'm thankful that you guys are concerned about me. He's thanking them for a financial gift that was given to them. Or given to him. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse 13 um, is tied to that concept. Paul's saying, I can be content whether I have everything or whether I have nothing. Because I'm fully trusting in God's goodness towards me in both situations. That was the test for Abram. Will you trust me in times of famine and in times of plenty? Both bring their, their set of difficulties. Both bring their temptations to not trust in God during those times. Financial gain often causes as many problems as it does solutions. We see this in the life of both Abram and Lot. Turmoil and strife set in with the family. Point number two. Seeking to meet the needs of others will almost always resolve conflict. Seeking to meet the needs of others will almost always resolve conflict. The end of strife is the foregoing of rights. And this is a big a big point in this chapter, and Tiffany brought it up of the fact that, that this chapter has to be about some conflict resolution here because there's conflict and we see resolution happening, and it's led by Abram. Abram identifies the problem here. He identifies that uh, strife is being caused because of a lack of land for both his portion of the family and Lot's portion of the family. Their plenty, God has given them plenty, but their plenty can't be contained in the area of land they're trying to live upon says that um, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. And then he gives them the, uh, the opportunity to pick where he wants to live and where he wants to dwell. I think it's important to point out that Abram uh, hopefully realized that the strife that was being caused uh, by this land issue between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen was a bad testimony towards the Canaanite people living in the land. Moses makes a point to highlight the fact that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. I think two reasons he pull, points that out to us. One, the land is not insufficient for Abram, right? God has promised to give him this land, promised to bless him. It's not that God brought him to a land that can't now hold his family. It's, it's occupied land. Remember, we said that Abram never fully possesses this land. He has to live as a pilgrim in a tent, trusting that God is going to give it to his descendants down the road. So Moses points out that the Canaanites and the Perizzites are here. It's not failure on God's part to be able to provide for Abram. It has more to do with the fact that the land is occupied. But then secondly, the strife going on between these two, herd, these two groups of herdsmen would have been a poor testimony to the Canaanites and the Perizzites. They would have undoubtedly been witnessing and watching this situation unfold. This wasn't just an isolated event where Abram and Lot are, are bantering back and forth in a tent about this. this. This probably had big ramifications and it was probably very involved in the strife and the conflict and the grumbling and the arguing about it was probably far reaching. And Abram says, this has to be, this has to be dealt with. This, this has to be put to an end. And so he comes to Lot 
and devises a plan, devises a solution to fix it. He identifies the problem. Probably worth noting as well, this is another consequence of Abram bringing family members with him that were never supposed to come. Remember when God called Abram, he said, leave your home and leave your family and go to the land that I'm going to give you. Abram's response, he brought Terah, his dad, and they lost years in Haran because Terah took the lead. They dwelt in Haran, and it wasn't until Terah died that they really got to move to Canaan. Now, there's strife between Lot, who was also brought along as his nephew. God overrules both of these family members coming along. God says they weren't supposed to come. Terah dies. Lot is going to be separated. This is another consequence of Abram not following through with what God had called him to do. Abram seeks to resolve this problem, though. And it's important for us to note this because this is where we learn from this situation in our own life. He prefers Lot over himself by putting his needs above his own needs. Think about this. Abram has every right to step into Lot's tent and say, nephew, I made a mistake. You were never supposed to come on this trip. You've benefited. You've, you've, been, you've been working off my, my shirt tail and, and gaining all the blessings that God's given to me. The only reason you have these herdsmen and the only reason you have this cattle and all, the only reason you have these sheep and these camels is because God has been blessing me. You need to take your people and go figure out where to live because this is where we live. And it was, it was gracious of me to even bring you along to begin with. And, and now that, re, that relationship's over with. We've outgrown each other. It's time to move on. He would have had every right to do that. He, he had those rights because God had promised the blessing and had promised the land to Abram, not to Lot. He could have easily clung to those rights and said, these are my rights. I'm the one that gets to choose here. I'm the one that gets to stay because God called me and my family here. But we don't see Abram clinging to his rights. Instead, he comes to Lot and says, Lot, we got to get this worked out. Our people can't agree. We've got too many people trying to live here. I'm going to give you the option. You pick wherever you want to go first, and then we'll take second place. We'll take the leftovers. He's, he's demonstrating, in a flawed sense, but he is demonstrating a much greater example that we see in the New Testament, right? This is Philippians 2 stuff with Jesus. Paul says that Jesus came. He relinquished his rights in heaven. He didn't grasp and hang on to the fact that he's God. Instead, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even in that temptation with Satan when Satan's like, hey, cling to your rights and, and demand angels come and do this and, and demand creation give food to you. He doesn't cling to that stuff, right? He doesn't use his deity to benefit himself. Time and time again, we see that Jesus uses his miraculous power for the benefit of others. So Jesus demonstrates this mindset far better than Abram could. But on this isolated event, we see Abram acting very much like Jesus in this situation. Abram says, I have every right to demand that you leave and leave my stuff alone. And instead he says, Lot, what do you want to do? There's conflict, there's strife, but I'm going to put your needs above my own needs. I'm going to let you choose what you think is best for your family first, and then we'll, we'll operate off of that decision. Abram could have clung to his personal rights. God had promised him the land, not Lot. But Abram feels free to release these rights. His belief in God's promises precisely allows him to not cling to this. See, Jesus leaves heaven and, and comes to this earth to live an obedient life because he believes that he has every right to the throne. And Philippians 2 teaches us that God the Father, through Christ's humility, raises him up to a place of authority, sits him at the right hand of God, so that every knee bow, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's precisely because Abram believes God's promises that he can say, you know what, Lot, choose this land. Because in the back of my mind, I know it's all going to be mine and my descendants one day. He says, because I believe that God's going to give it to me, I don't have to cling to it and try to hang on to it. I don't, try to have to, I don't have to try to manipulate this situation to get what God has already promised to give me. He says, Lot, I'm going to defer to you on this one. I'm going to let you pick where you want to live. 
Because I'm believing and trusting that God has good plans for me. I don't have to try to create those plans myself. He avoids a response of promoting or protecting himself. Now remember, this is the exact opposite of what he did in Egypt. He gets down to Egypt and he panics and gets scared. Does he put the, the life of his wife above his own life in that situation? No. Remember he says, lie for me, Sarah. Will you please lie for me so that it'll go well with me? Remember we said that that, that, probably, that probably did not bode well for their relationship long term, right? Um, he, he, he tells Sarah basically, we're going to work this situation out so that it goes well for me. And, and hopefully it goes well for you, but ultimately it's all about will it go well for me. He's all about promoting himself, protecting himself. Remember, the conflict stems from can this land support our stuff? And if Lot picks the best land, Abram's having to trust that whatever's left over will sustain his family. And there's no guarantee because he's going to end up living in in a portion of the land that's not as desirable. And so he's ultimately putting his trust in God and not his selection of land, right? He's not putting his trust in his job or his financial situation. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to trust that God has good intent for me. And I'm going to select maybe what's not as desirable in order to defer to someone else. I'm going to put their needs above my own needs. I'm going to not cling to the rights that I have. Instead, I'm going to put someone else's needs in front of my rights. He exemplifies Christ in Philippians 2. He trusts God for resolution to his own needs. He's no longer making decisions based on his own personal survival. Remember we talked about the difference last week between godly abandonment and self-preservation? That a lot of times when circumstances get difficult for us, we default into a self-preservation mode. I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of my family. And we become very inward focused. And that's what happened with Abram when he went down to Egypt. Very inward focused, very survival mode in how he starts handling situations. Kind of throws out the fact that God has promised everything to him and says, how do we make sure that we make it out of this alive? Remember, Abram has no kids. He has to make it out alive. God's promised him that. But he goes into survival mode. And oftentimes we're tempted to go into survival mode too when circumstances aren't desirable for us. We, we, we isolate ourselves from God's promises. Romans eight twenty eight that he's going to work good for his children. And we start trying to create good for ourselves. And oftentimes it leads to compromise. And Abram starts getting deceptive. You know, it can be a temptation to become uh, deceptive in our financial dealings over fear of our financial situation potentially. Start making compromises to try to create good for ourselves, to create good for our family. In this situation, Abram is tempted with the same thing. If I don't choose best, I may lose everything. All this stuff that I've obtained, the land may not be able to support me. Abram is free to godly abandonment, though, trusting that God will provide for him. So the opposite of self-preservation is being able to abandon ourselves to God and say, you know what, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to live like he's called me to live, and I'm going to trust him to provide for me because he's obligated himself to do so. We don't demand this of God. What we do is we respond and say, you've obligated yourself to. You've made a promise that you have promised to keep, so I can trust that you're going to keep it. I can trust that you're going to provide good for me. And that's how Abram operates in this situation. Could have easily ripped his family apart. He could have easily fought Lot over this. He could have easily demanded his rightful place in the land because God had promised it to him. He says, you know what? I'm going to put your needs above my own needs, Lot. I'm going to let you choose. I'm going to take the leftovers and trust that God will provide. Rather than saying, Lot, you take the leftovers and hope that God provides for him. He says, you know what? My faith is strong. I've renewed it here at Bethel at this altar that I've constructed. God is good to me. He's forgiven me of my failure for test number one. I'm going to pass test number two. I'm going to put my faith and trust that God will provide. And essentially, this is is a difficult mindset for us to give up our rights so that uh, someone else ultimately has a success story. Like we're, we're, we're essentially saying that Abram deferred to Lot and gave Lot the opportunity to benefit, gave Lot the opportunity for the limelight, gave Lot the opportunity to succeed, and doesn't really know if he'll get to or not. You know, he's trusting that God will provide, but really doesn't know what that provision will look like. A quote for you from Alexander McLaren. says, The less of our energies are consumed in asserting ourselves, 
and scrambling for our rights and cutting in before other people so as to get the best places for ourselves, the more we shall have to spare for better things. And the more we live in the future and leave God to order our ways, the more shall our souls be wrapped in perfect peace. This mindset of putting others before ourselves is so difficult. We go into survival mode so many times. It's our, it's our natural response. Remember we talked last week that we have to get out of the natural survival mode response and have our minds transformed to where we respond in, in trust towards God's good promises. I see all the time in middle school kids responding naturally, wanting to put themselves above others. Um, th- th- when I read the portion about cutting in before other people, uh, Thursdays are pizza day at, at Trinity, and constantly we have to monitor the lunch line because kids want to cut in before other people for fear that they're going to run out of pizza. We've never run out of pizza on our campus, right? Like our, our lunch people know that pizza is in high demand. But there's this survival mode that kicks in for our middle school students that says, if I don't break in front of these people, I will not get taken care of. And that's a, that's a silly example for a bigger problem in our own lives. The mindset that we have to take care of ourselves before others. And what scripture teaches us is that we place the needs of others above our own needs. You know, even in prayer request time, that, that we're faithful to share our requests, but we're also very faithful to intently listen to what others are going through so that we can faithfully pray for those needs as much as we want to share what our needs are, putting others above our own selves. Another quote from Charles Spurgeon says, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Putting others above ourselves, letting others succeed in place of our own success Trusting that God's promises of good intent supersede any plans that we have for ourselves of good intent. So Abram pursued reconciliation, comes back and makes things right with God. He pursues peace with Lot. And then ultimately he pursues purity. He pursues purity. Lot takes full advantage of Abram's offer. Right, you'd, you'd like to see Lot say, no, 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 no. This is, this is your land. God promised this to you. I'm just reaping the side benefits of it. You're most important here. You select for your family. That's what you'd hope Lot to do here. But Lot says, okay, great. Let me, uh, let me look out and see where I want to go. Um, it says that Lot in verse 10 lifted up his eyes. And he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. It's worth noting, you know, because prior to our study on this, I would have read that and felt like Moses was just interjecting that. But remember, when we looked at how long people lived and how people were around when other people were still alive, that that uh, people that were actually in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, had talked to somebody who had talked to somebody who had talked to somebody that most likely Lot had talked to. Like, this isn't that far removed. So Lot has heard pretty close to firsthand stories about what the Garden of Eden was like. So I'm sure Lot looked out of this area and says, I didn't get to live in the Garden of Eden, but this is about as close as I could get to that. It says that it was like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram makes a choice here, and he chose which land. He ultimately took first choice by giving Lot first choice because he, he ultimately knew that Lot was going to choose what was best, right? So, so Abram made a choice. He chose to take the less desirable land, and he chose it first, but he just allows Lot to make the choice, and Abram's choice is really defined by walking by faith. He defers to Lot, showing that he is more concerned with God's plan for him than his own plans. While Abram has gained great wealth, he is content with God's promises of good. He's not concerned about losing his wealth based on this choice because his sights are set on something different. You'll remember in Hebrews 11, we're told that Abram had his sights set on a city that has a foundation built by God. Lot has his sights set on Sodom and Gomorrah. They're looking at two different cities here. Abram's looking at a city that's not by sight but by faith a city that's to come in the future, Lot looks out, short-sightedness, and says, that's where I want to live. 
That's where I want to invest my time. That's where I want to invest my energy. Lot's choice is defined more by walking by sight. He defers to his flesh on this. Listen to the process of Lot and and what leads him to make this decision. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. He chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and journeyed there. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. He defers to his flesh. He allows his eyes to distort his judgment. He's choosing a place to live based on a financial decision rather than a spiritual decision. Catch this. And this is important. Verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. What we're told here is that God saw this land a lot differently than Lot saw it. Lot highlights the beauty of, He highlights the fact that it's flourishing, that it provides him financial opportunities, that he can gain wealth here, he can maintain his wealth here. But what's important to note is that he's making his decision about where to live based on where it's best to raise his cattle rather than where best to raise his children. He says, you know what? This is the best place for my cattle. My cattle will thrive here. The wicked intent of the people of Sodom really have very little bearing on the cattle, right? The cattle are going to eat the food that's there. He says, you know what? This is the best thing for my family. The best thing for my family is picking the best place for my cattle to eat. And what's what's saddening about this is that He doesn't move to Sodom. It says that he goes as far as Sodom because I I imagine that Lot knew that there was wickedness in Sodom. And he says, you know what? We're not going to go all the way. We're going to go here and reap the benefits and try try to stay away from the wickedness. But as we see this unfold, what we find is that while it went well for his cattle, it doesn't go well for his children, right? His children grow up and they marry. They marry men that are wicked, his wife's heart gets so rooted in the, in the sinfulness of Sodom to where when she sees judgment coming upon it, she doesn't want to leave. He loses his wife. He loses his, his uh, son-in-laws. And his daughters are so perverted in their thinking that he ultimately loses them as well. And then the descendants that come from him are by no means a blessing to the nations. Right? God promises Abram's descendants are a blessing. Lot's descendants are a, are a calamity to Abram's descendants. They, they wreak havoc upon Abram's descendants. He loses his family because of this decision. He makes a financial decision when his family really needed him to make a spiritual decision. And it's all driven by finances for him. Got to put myself in the best financial situation. Now he's cloaking it with the mindset of, I'm providing for my family. Like this is what my family needs. But rather than trusting in God's provision, he makes a poor spiritual decision for the sake of a good financial decision. And it ultimately destroys his family. Oftentimes our eyes get in in the way of us making good decisions. Genesis 3, 6, we see a very similar situation with Eve looking at the, the tree and desiring it and wanting it. But in Joshua 7, 21, We see another man who makes a financial decision when his family needed him to make a spiritual decision. Talking about Achan, he says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan does the same thing. He sees something, sees financial gain for his family, takes what he was told not to take, and it ultimately wrecks his family. While Lot has already gained great wealth, he has an insatiable desire for more. My encouragement to our men this morning, and and primarily to our men because of their leadership role over their families, be careful with your desires for career advancement if it costs your family their spiritual advancement. And that would go for our singles as well, both men and women. Be careful about your desires to advance your career 
if it hinders the spiritual advancement of your family. We've talked about this concept before. It's so foreign to hear people that are talking about moving their family talk about the spiritual advantages of that move. Most of the time, it's strictly financial. We're moving here because of the job situation. We're taking a new job here. Great, great. Ah, that means you have to leave your church. Yeah, we're really saddened about having to leave our church. Like it, we really hate to leave our church family. Well, do you know where you're going to go to church yet? No, you know, we're going to wait till we get there and we're going to try to find a place that, that fits for our family. Oftentimes, it does not factor into the decision making. It's strictly financial in the hopes that the spiritual will just come along with it. I shared with you before Sarah Vincent's family, uh, my cousin, that when her older sister was looking to go to grad school, um, that her mom and dad were involved in that process. And not only did they look at schools, they looked at the churches around those schools. That it was understood, if you're going to choose to go to this school, you're also going to know where you're going to church before you move there. That's a foreign concept. Most people leave that as a, a decision that we'll make when we get there. You know, it, it's, it's kind of grouped in there. We'll figure out where we're going to bank when we get there, where we're going to go to church when we get there. We've got the, we've got the most important thing figured out, how we're going to make the money when we get there. And we'll let the spiritual stuff come in. Surely we can find a church. But you guys know, like I've talked with enough of you to know, that churches that, that, that are Bible-believing, that seem to be doing the things the right way, that aren't consumed with, with things that maybe aren't part of the New Testament church, they're not... They're not just running rampant, right? There's a lot of great churches in this area. Don't get me wrong. But because there's so many churches, it allows us to kind of allow preference to, to factor in. And I've talked with many a people that have relocated and moved and, and have yet to find, have yet to find the spiritual advancement in that move. So I just want to caution you, just throwing that out there, that this was at a financial decision, a financial move. And the spiritual part was not factored in, and it wrecked his family because of it. God's view of the land, drastically different. Yes, it was a thriving place to raise your cattle, not a thriving place to raise your family. God's view of the land, these people are wicked, great sinners. And the words that are being used here indicates that these people were living at a level lower than the normal sin level, right? It's not just that, well, of course this place is sinful. It's full of people that are sinful, right? There was, a, there was a level of sin taking place here in this area that, that took them to a lower level than the normal sin level. It's a greatly wicked place. And we'll see more as, as we get into Genesis, the whys behind that. But it's a greatly wicked place that Lot moves his family to. He continues sowing to the flesh and will reap that future corruption. Quote that I put in, in, in my notes, something that, that's not very big, let me... See if we can make that bigger. That actually made it smaller. I don't know if that helped. Um, the Bible teaches that when Abram and his family left Egypt, that Lot couldn't get the images of Egypt out of his head. We see there in that passage, he chose the Jordan Valley because it reminded him of Egypt. And it led him to settling his family in Sodom, which destroyed his family. The Bible also says that Moses let go of the images of Egypt for better riches and promises. Be reminded today that the lustful images you bear in your mind regarding this world can only be released when you embrace the image of better promises that have true foundations of satisfaction. See, Lot gets entangled with what he experienced in Egypt, right? Abram comes back and reconciles with God at this altar and says, okay, we're done with that. We're going to start making decisions that are based on faith now. And says, so Lot, pick wherever you want to live. Lot says, you know what? Man, Egypt was awesome, right? Like you lied, you were kind of involved in some mess, but basically my, my portion of the family was just really enjoying it down there. We didn't want to leave. You got us kicked out. And he looks out and says, that's a lot like Egypt over there. And he's, and he's so, he's so uh, inclined and, and, his, and his eyes are so drawn to the worldly things that it offers. And he, and he bites on it and he says, you know what, we'll move our family there. It's wicked, it's evil, they don't, they don't worship God. We're going to move there though. And that's where we're going to live. Moses grew up in Egypt, right? And, and the Bible says that he left the riches of Egypt for better riches, for better promises. 
And so for us as believers, sanctification is all about us ripping ourselves away from the things of this world. As we convince ourselves more and more through God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit that what God promises is better than what this world has to offer. So the lustful images in our minds about this world can only be let go of when we embrace the better promises that God offers to us. Remember, it was that same offer that went to Abram back when he first started the journey. God comes to Abram and says, look, I got something better for you. I got something better for you. And, and, and Abram's standing there holding his, his own personal wealth at home. He's, he's the next in line for Terah's uh, inheritance. He's probably got a decent name in that community. And God says, I got something better for you. If you'll just leave all this behind, follow me. I've got something better for you. Lot says, you know what? I want to go back to that. I want to go back to that. A couple of application points for us this morning. Remember our summary sentence, when we trust in God's promises of good intent, it frees us from seeking our personal rights. We we see Abram doesn't seek his personal rights. He lets go of them, says, Lot, you choose first. He doesn't try to increase his personal riches. And he doesn't try to fulfill his flesh. Lot pursues those things with his choice. And when we let go of those things and trust God's good promises, it allows us to instead pursue relationships of peace and environments of purity. So application for us, number one, be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker by living for others and not yourself. Remember, the the, the best solution to conflict, conflict gets squashed and destroyed when you submit to someone else and say, you know what, let's just do it that way. Let's, Let's put your rights and your needs above my own. I'm going to forego my rights in this situation. I'm going to submit to you on this one. And, and conflict turns into peace. And the Bible tells us that we have a responsibility to live this way, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, you skip down to verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Abram lived this. He says, as far as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace with Lot and his herdsmen. I'm going to let you guys live wherever you want to, and then we'll back off. We'll, we'll disappear into the shadows. We'll go live the other places that are available in the name of peace. Abram says, I want to be a peacemaker rather than continue to create trouble in this situation. It's a good reminder to us to live the same way. Secondly, hold the world's goods loosely, seeing them as a resource to be shared, rather than a treasure to be protected. This is so hard as well. We're so inclined to want to hang on to the things that God has given to us graciously. We work hard for our stuff. We earn a hard living. We make good financial decisions. It's so hard to think about letting go of those things when oftentimes we want to just protect it and hang on to it. And, and both Abram and Lot are, are dealt that situation. The threat is we're not going to be able to hang on to our stuff if we stay in this situation. The land can't support both of us. So who's willing to take a chance and move to the less desirable land and maybe lose some stuff so that the other can gain? Abram says, you know what? I'll let you be that guy. I'll let you be the guy that gets the best. I'll take what's left over. Hold the world's goods loosely, seeing them as a resource to be shared rather than a treasure to be protected. And thankfully, Christ sets the perfect example of everything that we've seen in our text this morning. Philippians 2, he is the one that that didn't cling to his rights. He is the one that was rightfully God and rightfully deserved the worship of all aspects of creation. And he gives that up, comes to this earth and is ridiculed and beaten. He subjects himself to sin uh, the, the the weight of sin on the cross. He subjects himself to the consequences of sin. He experiences death in our place. Gives up his rights to take on what was rightfully deserved by man. Christ, the perfect example of one who held on to what was his loosely. So that he could be a servant to others. Abram models that for us briefly here in the, in this situation reminds us of how our faith is to function as well. That we trust in God's good intent, and when we do that, it frees us. It frees us to live differently. frees us to live differently. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the reminders that we've seen this morning. Father, I'm thankful that we can look back into the past and see Abram, a man that you called to salvation, 
striving to live out his life of faith. And God, I'm thankful that you left the ugly parts in there for us as well. It encourages us this morning that when we fail, that, that we can also look to another who failed. And God, we're thankful that Abram modeled how to correct the failures. God, we're thankful that he returned to where he had wandered from you and he confessed and he reconciled with you. And God, we, we call out to you today and we ask for an increase in our own faith. God, that you would drill into our minds the promises that you've made. Promises of good intent for us. God, I pray that, that we would live in light of those promises. That when we're faced with famine, when we're faced with plenty, that we could echo Paul's mindset of being content in both circumstances. Because in both circumstances, you're in control. And ultimately, you're the funnel. You're the giver of the good in the situation. So God, help us to not cling to the worldly goods that you give us as though they're our security. Help us not to crave those things when they're not present in our life as though we cannot be secure without them. God, I pray that ultimately in both situations, we're trusting in you for your good provision in our life. God, I pray that that trust and that faith in you would free us in how we interact with other people. God, help us to have a right mindset where we're willing to to let go of our rights, to put the needs of others above ourselves. God, I pray that you would protect us uh, as we go about our business this week. God, that you would protect us from the allurements of the world. God, I pray that you'd protect our families. As our, as our men make decisions for their families, God, I pray that they would be motivated by spiritual uh, desires for advancement and not just financial desires. God, we know that you move people all the time for job situations. God, I pray for our families here at this church that we would trust in you and that we would make decisions that are based spiritually rather than financially. God, I pray that we'd be people that make peace with others rather than trouble. Help us to live peaceably with all men as much as it depends upon us. God, help us to be people that seek to bless others with the things that you've given to us. We thank you for these truths that are contained in your word. We pray that your word would change us where we need to be changed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.